Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the wonderful freeform series, The Watchful Eye. We are joined today by showrunner Emily Fox and cast member Marielle Molino, who plays Elena in the series. And Emily, in, in starting with you, what I love about the development of Elena as a character is that she's someone who's always so active in her choices and her actions and her decisions throughout the series. It doesn't feel like there's anything passive that it's, that's ever really happening to her. Um, and so I was just interested in how you really shaped and developed a character to make it feel that way throughout every episode that's an enormous compliment because you know that's always our goal is to make our main character feel active and 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 activated and like of course things are going to happen to her but she's very much the architect of her situation and um it was it's a tall order really to like have a a character who is both sort of in like making choices not all of them are good choices, but like in the moment, this character doesn't hesitate. And um, what I kind of love most about her is that she's really quick on her feet and she's really quick. Her brain is really quick and she is just a survivor. And that doesn't come from book learning, right? It's like that comes from like just having not just... Um, like just mental acuity and being quick, but it's also like, she's a very, actually a very compassionate person and it lets her read other people really well. Um, so she is able to act on instinct and doesn't necessarily, doesn't really take a lot of missteps. You know, it's, um, you know, she's in a very dangerous world. Um, she's kind of tends to get out over her skis in the sense that like things happen inside of this building that, no one could possibly anticipate, but um, she just, I just uh, really loved leaning into her, the quickness of her and, you know, her, her decisiveness, her boldness, um, you know, she's not, I wouldn't describe her as fearless because I think she, she knows fear, but she's, she's courageous. And, and Marielle, when you first came on board for this role, you know, you didn't have the entire series of scripts. And I think when you started, it was it was just that first episode where, you know, intentionally the audience have a lot of questions about her motivations and her past and what's driving her into this situation and this space even to begin with. Um, but I know that you had a lot of conversations with Emily and, and the rest of the creative team. And so how did they help to give you the tools that you specifically needed? Because ultimately you don't need to know who's done what, why, and how, because she's navigating asking those questions it's really the crux of her backstory and her history that feel like they were probably the most important so I was interested in that well yes I think that's a great way of explaining it because that's something that I've really talked about in this journey with Elena is exactly that I had a very clear mission I had a very clear objective from the get-go and then everything that happens episode to episode are the different obstacles that end up getting in my way. But if I know where I'm going for me, that was the biggest gift of them all. I mean, it's difficult when as an actor, you get a character where you don't even know what they want. You know, sometimes that can be really challenging. So at least I knew that from Elena. And then I had a very, very lengthy conversation with Emily. And I think I had like, 50 questions of exactly that. Why is she doing what she's doing? Why is she being deceitful? Why is she putting herself in this situation? What, where is this anger coming from? Um, what is this quest for reparations? And 
And it really, really was in her past. It was all in so much that as an audience, we were not going to know until episode eight. So for me, it was really a challenge to try and find, you know, I knew that that people were going to come to find Elena's humanity, but I wasn't so sure of it. And that was a fear that I had, you know, of like, why is she hiding so many things? Is she someone we can root for? You know, I had all of these fears, but then ultimately, you know, you throw them away and you really do whatever you can in order to justify um, the character's actions. And for me, it was justified. And maybe they weren't always the right decisions along the way. But like Emily say, was saying, you know, she really learns to pivot and she lands on her feet and she's so determined to do whatever she is going to do in order to survive. So yeah, I think the heart of it, really the crux of who she is and why she's at the Greyborn really came because of her past for sure. And with some of the details that, that you're both giving there as well, I wanted to ask you both about how you created that relationship dynamic with Scott, because at the beginning when they're in a relationship together, ultimately it feels like he's the one that's the driving factor to say, you know, here you should infiltrate. They're going to look for a nanny. You should go get this job, you know, and and obviously we see that that she's had a lot more of a hand in things than we realized as, as the season progresses. But even at the beginning, when it feels like it's his idea and his driving force, it still feels like she's such an active participant in it. And so without giving answers away to the audience, how did you make sure that we always felt that way and watching the dynamic between the two of them, where even if he'd had the initial suggestion, the choices in the moment and the day to day were all her? I mean, something that was really great about that dynamic with Scott, which I really, really enjoyed was, and I don't know, Emily, you can agree or disagree, but there were even instances that I really, really tried to to play it in a way that I thought, okay, he's going to think he's in the driver, driver's seat, but really I am. You know, it's almost like I wanted him to think that he still had control when clearly I'm seeing so many other cards unfold. And I know that this situation that he's brought me into is clearly dangerous and sketchy, but I still have to, in a way, manipulate him to, to, to feel like, to make him feel like he's in the driver's seat. Um, that's not to say that he didn't have power over me and he had information that, I mean, he clearly has power over me. He's a cop. But um, but there was other levels of the information that he had and that he hadn't told me that also still made him like a very worthy ad adversary, you know? But I do think that, um, you know, she, she definitely had her way with him in some other ways. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's met her ma his match in her. And like, it's, you know, I, I, keep saying like pe people don't make like the best decisions in their 20s and they are both they're both in it together and they I think their their affection is very real their attraction is certainly real um and uh I do think he loves her um and I think she is she's really too guarded to feel like what I would consider like a pure love for someone she's 
she Scott for her, I think is a bit of a means to an end, but also like she has to trust him. There's there, they are in a position of mutually assured destruction. Like they both have something on the other, um, which is kind of what makes the vibe between them really hot because it's like, God, that's scary. Like that's kind of a turn on, but it's also like, I think he underestimates her and I, love that like I love when someone underestimates somebody else and then they just like run circles around them and it's that's fun to watch um and but you know he's also like he's 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 an alley cat he like he's he's got his own sort of like self-protective instincts he's sort of like you know he's a cop first of all but like more than that he's just like he's very streetwise and um uh, I don't know. I think they're they're they are well matched. The two of them, like, watching them toe to toe, is really fun. Yeah, I really like them together. Honestly, <laughs> even though it's toxic, it's so fun to watch. You know, <laughs> it, so is, it, it makes great scenes. And and Emily, in terms of the overall arc of how you've created this show, you know, as as an audience member, you're you're kind of creating just as many questions as you're answering sometimes. Um, but it always keeps us very intrigued. And and I was reading something where you mentioned that there was a note that you'd gotten several years ago on on another project about there's a very fine line between the space of intrigue and confusion for the audience. Um, and I think it's such a delicate balance to try and create, and especially in a show like this where you want to kind of give us morsels of information to give us satisfying elements that we feel like we're learning more each episode but obviously everything we learn also opens up other doors and other opportunities and other questions as well um, and so in going through creating a show like this how do you work to really make sure that you're striking that right balance in that space well it's interesting mostly because this show is rolling out one episode per week and um, you know, a lot of us have worked recently in in streaming situations where it's like everything is released all at once. So building suspense is a different operation when you know that you are all you need to do is get there's either the passive viewer who's just like, it's just going to roll into the next one and roll into the next one. And I don't have to do anything versus this, which is like, OK, you watch one episode. Now you have to wait a week and people are going insane because they're like, Oh my God, like, you know, cause we tried, we built in basically a cliffhanger at the end of every episode, essentially. And you also kind of have to build in like a little mini clip over click cliffhanger at the end of every act, because you don't want someone to just like wander away during a commercial. So I think it's, for me, it was like, I want to give out exactly the right amount of information, the right number of clues and, and create the right number of questions and give people something to talk about all week where it's like, wait, hang on is, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but like, you know, is this thing actually this, like, that's a, that's a really vague and terrible example, but it's a, it's a challenge. And it's like, it's, it's a weird balance. And it's one of those things that like, I don't, um, I try not to overthink it. I just make myself into an audience member and think like, okay, let me tell myself like precisely the amount of information I need to come back to find out more because you can't just hold it all until the end. Cause that's, that's violence. That's not, that's not fair, but you do want to, you can't just tell everybody everything in the beginning and everyone wants to know everything in the beginning. Like I watched with my kids. They're like, well, how does it end? And I'm like, watch the movie. Like, 
what's wrong with you? Like, they're going to tell you. That's the whole point. They're so impatient. But um, I think with this, it's that's what makes it so delicious is like you just get one little like dose of information in every episode. It is. And, and, and Marielle, in terms of, of playing the central character in a show where information's kind of unfurling gradually for her, um, I've heard you talk a little bit about how you would go into scenes and think, what's her goal? What's her objective? And then what are the obstacles in the way in each moment? And I was really interested in how you would work to dissect each scene before you were going into it in that particular manner and asking yourselves those questions. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's always first and foremost in the text, you know, that's the first place that I really go to look for my answers, because there's so much that you can obviously find out about the story, but about the character. And for me, I look at what she thinks of herself. What do other people think of herself? How do, how, how do they see Elena? And that's all informative to me. And then, and then I'm able to really you know, start creating a character and desires and, um, you know, all these fancy schmackety words. But, um, but ultimately it is really, when you boil it down, it really is simple. It is about wanting something and doing everything that you can in order to get it. And if there's something we've seen with Elena, it's just that, that she will do whatever she has to do to do it. And she's really active. Um, and God bless the person that gets in her way, you know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, but I, I do have to say that it's it specifically this project. It was so great to work with so many fantastic directors, but also with Emily and a lot of the writers that I got to work with where I was able to pick up the phone and call them and be like, okay. I'm confused, you know, I don't know what's going on. I need to know if this is where she's going or if it isn't, because this is what I think. But I also feel like this is something that we talked about four episodes ago. And how does that play in now? You know, it's all such a collaboration. So it's really not just um, the person that I've created that you're seeing. It's really like a conversation and so many little things that I've, you know, added to the salad bowl of Elena, you know? Jesus, salad like sounds a, really boring. Salad, yeah. Like a good salad. Like, like a chili. It's like a chili. A chili, okay. I was going to do like a whole riff on croutons. Okay. But, um, but no, no, no. I like chili's good. Stone soup is mm. one of my favorite metaphors. People are sick <laughs> of me talking about stone soup. Um, but yeah, it was like, it's, this is, it is always thus in season one of a show, you know, yeah. it is a journey to, especially with something that's serialized, that's like a story that unfolds, you know, it's like each episode is a bit different, right? It's like, not only are you learning new information about your character and their backstory and the situation and the hidden secrets coming to the surface, but also, you know, you're, you're with something like this that doesn't fit neatly into a genre box, you know, it's not slasher it's not you know a police procedural it's like it's it is it's very much its own animal and it's you um as a as the creators it's like our job is to announce ourselves and say this is what this show is um and fortunately we had like a glorious 10 episodes to do that um 
And, uh, but, you know, finding the character's motivation and, and figuring out why they're doing what they're doing and how they react in every situation. Like, you know, it is, we were lucky that we were able to collaborate um, with someone as, as both as talented and as curious as Marielle, because she did have questions that were like, they were good questions. And it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, we better figure that out. Like, this is, this does feel, you know, there's, there's moments when, you know, actors sort of inhabit a role and they can, they can better or, or identify just as well. Like if something feels false or confusing, it's like what you were saying before, like the, the line between intriguing and baffling, it's like, you want to make sure that you're just, you're leaning towards intriguing because you know, we don't want to lose your audience where they're like, I don't understand this character. I don't understand this the tone or whatever it is you want to make sure that there's that you have clarity and that your actors have clarity and that then that's then that communicates what you're trying to say I love what you were were saying there about you know a, a show that that doesn't just land in one genre there's different elements at play and you know there's this really heartfelt drama at the center of it if you take away the other aspects of of everything Elaine is going through and navigating and trying to achieve uh at the Greyborn if you take away all the supernatural elements so there's there's these different elements at play and I always think that's so fascinating in terms of really finding the specific voice and tone of of a show and so in creating the show and also performing in it what were what were some of the dynamics at play in terms of filming those first few episodes and everybody collectively coming together and really trying to find exactly what the the pinpoints of tone needed to be for that myriad of, of genres that come into play? I would say that the first couple of, I mean, the the pilot very much does set the tone. It's, you know, it's it's takes a page out of Hitchcock and um, tells sort of, puts a modern twist on it. Um, so I think we we really used that as a guidepost for what we were trying to achieve, at least in the pilot and in the first few episodes, because you do spend a lot of time making introductions, making connections, orienting your viewer in the world. Um, and then I think we were able to sort of like move the story forward as the mystery, the various mysteries unfolded. Um, and... Uh, I think what we tried to do was let ourselves kind of play around with tone because it's like we could, we had that flexibility and there's so many great shows now that do like when you were saying like, Oh, this is a heartfelt drama in the middle of a bunch of other things. And you could say that about stranger things. You could say that about bad sisters. You could say that about Ozark. You could say that about any of these shows that actually have quite high concepts built into them. But like, if you can't relate to those central characters, if you can't, if you don't care about their story and what happens to them and their vulnerabilities and their mistakes and their missteps and their, you know, deep wounds that they're trying to cover up, like it, none of the rest of it matters. Like you have to have that at the center of it. So I think what we tried to do was focus ourselves and help the actors focus on those interpersonal moments that we tried to make feel very real and grounded. You know, like Elena's relationship with her brother, like the fact that this is that he was the reason she was sort of doing all of this, even though he hadn't asked for it. And, you know, is it doesn't have any say in it and is actually turns out to be like not super pleased with this arrangement that she's made. But 
you know, it's that she has a, a want and a desire and like what she craves is, is is safety and security. And she has a soft spot for kids who have been either like neglected or mistreated by their parents. And if you can plant that tree right in the middle of your garden, you can put anything else around it that you want because you you believe in your character. Yes, she's making some terrible choices, but like no one wants to watch a show about people making like good choices. Like <laughs> that would be very dull. So, um, you know, I think it's once you have sort of established the heart and the and the and the realness of your main character and the characters around that person, then then you can kind of like then then the flights of fancy can begin. I agree. I think one of the things that I always came back to with Elena's journey is that for me, it was really one about grief and avoidance and not facing grief head on. Because to me, that was really what was at the center of everything that she was doing and why she was doing everything. And so even though it is a thriller and I love that aspect, I, I, it's so fun to do. Um, there just, there had to be these moments of that drama and, um, and then there were also moments where we got to play a little bit, but I will say that I also have to give a shout out to Jeffrey Reiner, who was our director for four of the episodes and or three I believe um and he really was really good about keeping all of us actors in the same tone and really trying to keep it grounded and keep it real and kind of like putting us back on track if we were ever to you know go a little bit further and and that's something that I really valued about our relationship um and about the show and for him i remember something that he used to always tell us was like there's you should never let go of tension in the story there's always tension between you and matthew between you and jocelyn between you and the building you know like it's about really holding that tension and yeah i don't know overall i learned a lot <laughs> There's also something you were, you were touching upon there in terms of just the the grief that she's processing and going through. And, and it's prevalent not just in her, but in other characters. We see that in the dynamic with Matthew and Tori and how they're both grieving loss very differently. Um, but with Elena specifically, it's it's it feels like it's very judicious as to where we see that vulnerability because it's obviously something that she is trying to keep a wall up around herself and not allow anybody in you know particularly in the scenes at the Greyborn, which is where we're seeing her the majority of the time and that's even where she's you know living and, and sleeping and in her entire day-to-day -day world um and so how did you work to kind of make sure that you were always keying in those moments of quiet vulnerability so that the audience can really see and connect to it even if the other characters around her aren't getting to play witness to it. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I think that's also just in the writing, you know, I think that there were these moments, like you said, these quiet moments where maybe they don't even play that much, but there's this beautiful moment where she finds her dad's old jacket and she picks it up and then, you know, viewers will either pick up on or not pick up on the fact that she then carries it around and wears it for um, 
that entire episode and I think an episode after and it's just little things like that that don't even have to be so demonstrative and so melodramatic but it's just like her way of honoring her father and trying to cope with her grief um I don't know I really I really loved little subtle moments like that or the way in which she even talks about Allie you know because she feels so much for her and understands the situation that Jasper is in and the way that she tries to connect with Jasper to me is also very telling about the pain that she feels because even though she's gone through something really traumatic, like seeing her father commit suicide, it's also like she's worried about everybody else. And she was worried about her, her brother not seeing the clothes that she had to pack for her father. So she packed them. Um, so it's like little moments like that, that I think in the writing were really beautiful to get to little by little peel these layers. Um, and it's something that I think is so real. I mean, you know, I, I've also dealt with grief and it's just, sometimes you don't want that attention at all. You know, you never want to bring it up. You don't want to talk about it. And so in your own privacy, when you do get an opportunity to just let yourself surrender yourself to something, it's, it's really nice. And, and I'm, and I'm hoping, you know, that we get to explore more of that too, you know. And and for you, Emily, how did you want us to see that that really nonlinear path of of grief and how she, how Elena's processing it, especially in line with how we're witnessing characters like Jasper and Matthew and Tori and all these other people around her in her vicinity who are all dealing with it in their own way? Well, it's, I mean, it's so interesting because I do think, like, especially after you know, sort of going through a pandemic, and I think uh, us, we as society like collectively experienced like tremendous grief and i think it was very much um like in the forefront of you know it was just really it became part of the discourse in a way that it has never in like my whole lifetime really and so i it was on my mind to begin with just because it sort of is is out there in and is a has sort of like coalesced as a concept that it's that grief is not confined to the grieving period, like, you know, a lot of traditions have like a grieving period or a mourning period and it lasts this long. And then at the end of it, you light a candle and you move on. And it's like, everybody I think now has come to understand, not everybody, people have come to understand that that, that it, it doesn't work that way. Like beautiful system. If it worked, then that would be amazing. It's like the freeways in LA. It's like, if they worked, oh my God, that would be, you could get anywhere so quickly but like <laughs> grief is like an la freeway where it's like i'm stopped for no reason in the middle of the day in this there should not be any traffic here and yet i am gridlocked and like it's an interesting metaphor because it's like you don't expect it you have no explanation for it it sneaks up on you and it destroys you out of nowhere and like that just to me as a concept as like a as a part of the human condition is really it's it's fascinating it's it's troubling it's it makes all of these characters really interesting because 
one of the things about Elena, when she comes into this building, this like very rich atmosphere, rich in every sense of the word, she has a sense, as I think a lot of people do, that if like you have a lot of money, like you got no problems, like that you can buy your way out of something like grief or something like loss or yes, certainly your creature comforts are met, but then it doesn't shield you from anything that like is, is deeper than just, yes, of course, food, shelter, whatever. Like all of that is just, that's there and it's important, but I think there is part of Elena at the beginning of this story that thinks if I just had that, I wouldn't feel pain. And as soon as she gets in there, it's like, oh wait, like nothing, nothing she'll do. Like money is fun, but that doesn't make the grief go away. And it's, it's, it's just an interesting journey. Cause I think it's so, it's such a, it's so emblematic of what I think a lot of people in the world are now realizing, like, what is, what is your priority? What is, what is important? You know, what matters? And, um, so yeah, this is a very long answer to a short question, but yes, it was, it was interesting to unravel Elena's grief, Tori's grief, Matthew, Jasper, Mrs. Ivy. I mean, everybody has suffered some profound loss um, and nothing really protects the heart. No, it's, it's a really, really great answer with a lot of detail. I, I love that. And, you know, in, in a separate space, I wanted to talk a little bit about that, that journey of bringing in the supernatural elements to a show like this. Cause even just going back to what you were saying about in terms of it being so character driven and that really being what connects us, even the moments where there's something happening, it feels like it's always telling us something about character, you know, for Kelly Bishop, when we start to realize, well, she's hearing crying in the walls. Why is she hearing that? What is she hearing? Who is it? What's the connection? What's the relationship? So it, it starts to, to ask a lot of questions or tell us a lot of details about her. And so what, what would the important driving factors to you in in creating any scenes which started bringing those aspects in even just kind of going back to what you were talking about before with like the myriad of tones it it does it very seamlessly in a way that always feels very grounded um i think it was you know it was influenced by you know this this sense that i think the human mind has formed this fantasy that like if you have unfinished business in the earthly realm that you can become a ghost or that you will become a ghost and that you will be given this post-life opportunity to settle it, to fix a problem that you left behind. I mean, it's like, it's, it is in some ways the ultimate a fantasy of being immortal is that like, oh, you don't just die and leave behind this terrible unfinished problem. You could come back and get lucky and find someone who can help you fix it. Um, lucky, I use that term loosely. It's, um, uh, and I think like, to me, like the the supernatural component of this exists in a, in a world of unanswerable questions, which is like, is this really happening? Is this in someone's imagination? I have no proof either way. So let's say it's really happening. And if it's really happening, then why? Like, what is it that these, like the ghosts aren't there just to be like, whoop, you know, like with a sheet, the two little holes. It's like the ghosts have a purpose and they have a message and they have um, their own form of grief. 
which is that like they've been sort of, you know, uh, banished or exiled, particularly from this building and all of, you know, the, the ghosts were all, they met their demise under like sort of horrible circumstances. So it's, this is not like, oh, it was a life well lived and everyone loved them. And then they died in their sleep at age 98. This is like, no, these were, this was a, these were bad deaths. And the notion that you might be able to protect the people that you left behind, I think is very compelling as a concept, you know, for us, the, you know, the limits of human knowledge bumping up against the infinity of human imagination is like, okay, so, okay, there's ghosts. And, you know, we, we, we struggled a lot with trying to sort of integrate that again in this like genre mashup where there's already so many things going on. It's like to bring in um, what feels a little, a little supernatural and a little like horror, but also maybe just, you know, it, its purpose may be purely allegorical, but I think what's fun about it is that it's, it just gives us a chance to consider what's possible and to consider that idea of like, could you, could you fix things? You know, is that if you found the right conduit for your message, you know, could you, could you communicate from the beyond? It's, I mean, it's like it's this, people have pondered this thought for thousands of years. And still do and still try. And, and lastly, Marielle, I wanted to ask you about going into playing a lot of those scenes, because particularly when we see Elena in a lot of these situations, it seems that you're playing solo. You don't necessarily always have a scene partner, and yet you're creating, you know, going back to what you're saying about the the idea of the tension with the building, we really see an existence in a lot of that. And I've heard you say that even just working really closely with the camera operator and creating this, this very specific choreography kind of felt like a dance. And so I was very interested in how that was such a unique space to step into in filming these scenes by yourself and thinking so specifically about the camera and the choreography and the tension. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for just being so good at your job. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's such a great question. And um, I think, yeah, that was one of the challenges of this role of this project specifically. I think I've always really been a part of an ensemble um, and that's great because as an actor, you have a co-star that you can really play off of and react. And yeah, Elena's journey, especially when she's exploring the many hidden places of the Grey War when she's alone. And I really had to trust in my imagination and use that and really figure out in my head what I was seeing, what I was feeling, try and conjure up those emotions, but also try and conjure up those sounds and those things that weren't necessarily there. I mean, obviously there are a lot of moments in a thriller specifically that are done in post-production, you know, the sounds, the creaks, all these things don't exist until after you, you know, see it play out. And so I, yeah, it was unlike anything I've ever done, but I had a really great crew who was very, you know, patient with me and supportive. And I really felt like in this project, like you mentioned earlier, I really learned to figure out 
camera and act with the camera. And I say that because it's so different than like when you're doing theater or even when you're doing a situation where you're just, um, you know, in a medium close with another actor and it's like two shot or whatever. Um, a lot of these were either they were following me or I'm following them. And so in a way it's like, I almost want to make you, the audience feel like you're there with me. You're also kind of like my Scooby-Doo blues clues partner in this mystery. <laughs> and how can we make it so that it's the most intriguing, not confusing and enticing, um, set up and how can I be of service to the story um, if I don't have someone to play off of? So I think I learned a lot more about even cinematography and direction and lighting even than I ever have. And, and it, it was also really inspiring because I don't know, I, I felt like I really got to work with some really skilled camera operators and dolly grips and and I was able to kind of learn to tell story from a position of, okay, what are the tools at my disposal? How can I use this? How can I get up closer to the to the to the camera in order to you for you to feel that tension? Or how can I, you know, how does this look? How does this feel? And is this always bringing it back to is this right for the story and the character? You know? Um but yeah, at first I was shaking in my boots. <laughs> and then, you know, I would sometimes have um, the director, I would I would go up to him and be like, okay, in that moment where I need to be startled, can you please just like clap or try and scream <laughs> so that I am startled? And sometimes the, the scream would be so hysterically funny that it would throw me off because it was like a, oh, you know, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be scared. And I know that it's this person I've been spending so many weeks with just going, oh, so <laughs> that the, blo the blooper reel is very entertaining. Wait, there's a blooper reel? Well, I don't I know, probably. <laughs> there will be now. <laughs> now. Of me just swearing and messing other people's takes. But anyways, um, no, it was really great. It was really, really challenging. Um, and it was also a thing of learning to have confidence that um, even the smallest facial expression would show up, you know? I'm also used to doing a lot of comedy. I started doing comedy. And so I feel like I've been someone who's very physically comedic and open and big. And so here you know, even a look could say so much. And so I wanted to try and explore that. And that's not to say that I don't look back and there's certain things that I'm like, okay, I could have trusted my instinct more here, or I could have maybe not gone as far here. But I think that's part of, um, you know, the process of growing as an actor and, um, and just always, always learning, always learning for sure. I really, really love hearing all of that and especially all of the details for both of you that, that went into such a fantastic first season. So congratulations on everything with the show and thank you so much. It's been- Thank you awesome. so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. I love your show. It's so good.